Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program, the Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools. We're here every Saturday at 12 noon on the DOT, and we intend to be here as long as possible because 3CR is just so important and they're prepared to let us say all of the things that should be said, which are often not allowed elsewhere. We have a very full program for you because it's been a very interesting week and there's going to be a lot of interesting weeks to come because the extraordinary thing is that the public school advocates who have been pointing out the shocking inequalities and discrepancies in government funding of both public and private schools are actually getting through to some of the media. And this is terribly important. Just before Christmas, there's a lot of activity about money and education in Australia. Australia is educating children for a class-ridden society uh, similar to that of the 18th century. That's the way we're going backwards. And the only way we can go forwards is through the public system. And that's why we're here to defend it and to um, promote it. But uh, Save Our Schools has been getting lots and lots of information out. And uh, Trevor Cobalt is doing a wonderful job, a sterling job. And Andy is going to tell us about his latest uh, research report on the funding, public funding of primary schools. Over to you, Andy. Thanks, Jean. Over the past 12 years, government funding increases have heavily favoured private primary schools over public schools. Since 2009, funding for private primary schools has increased by about three times that for public schools. Funding increases for Catholic and independent primary schools have ensured their income per student is much higher than that of public primary schools. This provides private primary schools with a large human and material resource advantage. Public schools are massively underfunded, and this will continue until at least the end of the decade unless the current funding arrangements are drastically revised. Public schools in all states except the ACT will only be funded to 91% or less of their school resourcing standard by 2029. By contrast, Catholic and independent schools will be funded at over 100% of their SRS. The misdirection of large funding increases to the more privileged Catholic and independent school sectors has major consequences for national student achievement because money matters in education. Inadequate funding means that public primary schools cannot fully address major learning challenges. Public schools enrol over 80% of low SES, Indigenous, remote area and high disability students. Large proportions of disadvantaged primary school students do not achieve national standards in literacy and numeracy, and the achievement gaps between them and high SES students amount to about two years of learning by year five. The new National School Reform Agreement and the new Commonwealth State Funding Agreements to be negotiated next year, which will apply from 2025, should ensure that public schools are funded at 100% of their SRS. This should include removing the provisions in the current agreements that allow the states to defraud public schools by counting expenditures excluded from the design of the SRS towards their share of the SRS. Primary school funding in Australia, figures published by the Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting Authority on its national report on schooling 
data portal show that government funding increases have massively favoured private primary schools over public primary schools in recent years. Between 2009 and 2021, total government funding, Commonwealth and state slash territory, for private primary schools increased by three times that for public primary schools. Funding of independent primary schools increased by $3,128 per student adjusted for inflation and by $2,939 per student in Catholic schools. By contrast, funding for public primary schools increased by $1,051 per student. In percentage terms, total government funding for private primary schools increased by four to five times that for public schools. Funding for independent schools increased by 53% and for Catholic schools by 43% compared to 11% for public schools. Commonwealth funding for private primary schools increased by about four times that for public schools. Commonwealth funding for independent schools increased by $2,781 per student and $2,667 per Catholic school student compared to only $719 per public school student. Despite having major responsibility for public schools, state and territory governments provided similar funding increases to both public and private schools. State funding for public primary schools increased by $333 per student compared to $273 for Catholic schools and $347 for independent schools. These funding increases have given private primary schools more resources to educate their students than are available to public schools. In 2021, the income per student in independent schools was $5,226 greater than that of public primary schools, while it was $1,144 greater in Catholic schools than in public schools. In 2009, by comparison, the income per student in independent schools was $1,161 more than in public schools, while that for Catholic schools was $1,115 less than in public schools. Primary school funding by state government funding increased for private primary schools have far outstripped those for public primary schools in all states since 2009. In New South Wales and South Australia, the funding increases for Catholic and independent schools were double or more that for public schools. In Victoria, Catholic school funding increased by about two and a half times that for public schools, while the increase for independent schools was about three times. The increase for Queensland private schools were about three times that of public schools. There were very large disparities in Western Australia, Tasmania, the ACT and the Northern Territory. Government funding per student in public primary schools in Western Australia fell by $682 per student, but increased by $2,254 in Catholic schools and by $2,560 in independent schools. In Tasmania, funding for public schools increased by $1,180 per student compared to $4,753 in Catholic schools and $5,408 in independent schools. In the ACT, funding for public schools increased by $709 per student compared to $3,739 in Catholic schools and $2,219 in independent schools. Funding for public schools in the Northern Territory was cut by $528 per student, while funding for Catholic schools increased by $5,276 and by $4,975 in independent schools. Commonwealth government funding increases have massively favoured private primary schools in all states. The increases for Catholic and independent schools were about three times that for public schools in New South Wales, Queensland and South Australia. In Western Australia, the increases for private schools were about four times that for public schools. And in Victoria, they were six times that for public schools. In Tasmania, the increase for Catholic schools was seven times the increase for public schools and for independent schools, nearly nine times that of public schools. 
At present, public schools are massively underfunded and will remain so for the rest of the decade unless there is a dramatic change in Commonwealth and state government funding policies. The underfunding is evident in a large shortfall in government funding as a percentage of the SRS. Public schools in all states except the ACT are funded at 90% or less of their SRS. By contrast, private schools across Australia are funded at an average of 105.5% of their SRS, with private schools in all jurisdictions except the Northern Territory funded at over 100% of their SRS. The available figures are not available separately for primary and secondary schools and only show the shares for all schools by state. For the purpose of this paper, it is assumed that the published shares for all schools apply equally to primary and secondary schools. This is uh, from the Senate Estimates, uh, Commonwealth State Bilateral Agreements and Annual Reports of Regulatory Agencies. The official figures for the government funding shares of the SRS for public and private schools are misleading. First, the Commonwealth shares ignore funding for private schools outside the direct measure of income model. The shares shown in Cobbold's chart include funding from the $1.2 billion Choice and Accountability Slush Fund. However, even these shares are underestimates because they do not include other funding outside the model, such as the $769 million JobKeeper payments. Second, state government funding shares ignores a special provision in the current Commonwealth state bilateral funding agreements which allow the states to claim up to four percentage points against their target share for expenditures such as depreciation and school transport. These expenditures are explicitly included from the official measure of the SRS. Several states can also claim expenditures on curriculum and standards authorities that are also excluded from the measure of the SRS. This skullduggery is defrauding public schools of over $2 billion a year. The figures shown in Cobbold's Chart 7 take account of these special allowances. Public schools face the prospect of being underfunded indefinitely. Under the current arrangements, Commonwealth funding increases will continue to heavily favour private schools until at least the end of the decade, and the states will continue to underfund public schools. Public schools in all states except the ACT will be funded by... 91% or less of their schooling resources standard by 2029. By contrast, private schools will be funded at over 100% of their SRS. Now, the underfunding of public schools has harmful consequences. The long-standing underfunding of public schools has had very serious consequences for its students, particularly disadvantaged students. As many students have shown in recent years, money matters, especially for disadvantaged students. Public primary schools have not been adequately funded to meet the learning challenges of many students. Public schools educate the vast majority of the most disadvantaged students, low SES, Indigenous, high disability and remote area students. In 2019, public schools enrolled 82% of low SES students, 84% of Indigenous students, 76% of high disability students and 82% of remote area students. Large proportions of these primary school students do not achieve national standards in literacy and numeracy. In 2022, 17% of Year 5 low SES students did not achieve the reading and numeracy standard and 22% did not achieve the writing standard. There has been only a slight improvement since 2008 in the percentage achieving the reading standard, from 80% to 83%. However, there was a significant increase in the proportion not achieving the writing standard since 2011 when such figures were first published, from 16% to 22%. The increase was not entirely associated with COVID, as the percentage below standard increased between 2008 and 2019. There was no reduction since 2008 in the percentage below the numeracy standard.
A large proportion of Year 5 Indigenous students are still below the standards, but still have been having major improvements in the proportion achieving the reading and numeracy standards since 2008. In 2022, 22% of Indigenous students did not achieve the reading and numeracy standards, and 29% did not achieve the writing standard. The percentage not achieving the reading standard is down from 37% in 2008, and the percentage not achieving the numeracy standard is down from 31%. There was only a minor decrease in the percentage below the writing standard from 31 to 29%. A significant proportion of Year 5 remote area students also do not achieve national standards. 17% did not achieve the reading standard, 22% did not achieve the writing standard, and 16% did not achieve the numeracy standard. There was a very small increase of 3 percentage points in the proportion achieving the reading standard and virtually no change in numeracy since 2008. There was a small increase in the proportion not achieving the writing standard. By contrast to the significant proportion of disadvantaged students below National Year 5 standards, very few high SES students failed to achieve the standards. Only 2-3% to of the latter failed to meet the standards. There were also large achievement gaps between disadvantaged and advantaged primary school students. The achievement gaps between high and low SES students in 2022 were 87 points in reading, 78 points in writing and 81 points on the NAPLAN scale for reading and numeracy. These gaps represent a little over two years of learning. The gaps between high SES students and Indigenous are even higher. The reading gap in 2022 is 94 points, 95 points for writing and 89 points for numeracy. These gaps represent about two and a half years of learning. The gaps between high SES students and remote area students are equivalent to over two years of learning. The gaps between Year 5 high and low SES students in reading, writing and numeracy all increased between 2008 and 2022. By contrast, the gaps between high SES and Indigenous students all decreased. The gaps between high SES and remote area students are similar to those in 2008 or 2011 for writing. Equity in school outcomes and funding is the fundamental priority. Australia has a highly inequitable school system. The latest NAPLAN results show shocking differences in school outcomes between advantaged and disadvantaged students. The failure of successive Commonwealth and state governments to fully fund public schools is a major factor contributing to the failures in education equity. At present, there is no indication when public schools will be fully funded. The new National School Reform Agreement and the Commonwealth-State Bilateral Funding Agreements are due to be renegotiated next year and apply from the beginning of two 2025. They should ensure that public schools are funded at 100% of their SRS. This should include removing the provisions in the current agreements that allow the states to defraud public schools by counting expenditures not included in the measure of the SRS as part of their share of the SRS. And back to you, Jean. Thank you very much, Andy. That was a pretty meaty uh, report that Trevor uh, Cobalt uh, did, and Andy has done a great job telling us all about it. A lot of facts and figures there, but it all adds up to the fact, the very plain fact, that the government funding of private schools uh, is unfair. It is unfair to public schools. Of course, the dog's position is that private schools shouldn't get one iota of public funding. They want to be independent. Let them be independent. But if you once you fund private schools, then you're going to get a classroom society, which is where we're going. Yes, well, the NAPLAN results are in uh, from the last year and um, they tell a sorry story indeed. According to Caitlin Cassidy of The Guardian, 
Australia's poorest children five years behind the richest peers. Think of it, five years behind just because a child has been uh, born into a family that is not wealthy, that is having to struggle. And, of course, as we know with the cost of living and the housing crisis, this is more and more families in Australia at the moment. But uh, Dale's going to tell us all about this. Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. I've got an article by Caitlin Cassidy here. Australia's poorest children are five years behind their richest peers, NAPLAN analysis shows. Australia's most disadvantaged students are achieving at a level up to five years behind their most affluent counterparts, new analysis reveals. The report provided exclusively to Guardian Australia by public education advocacy group Save Our Schools analysed the latest national NAPLAN results by student background. It found significant achievement gaps in literacy and numeracy between rich and poor students at all year levels to the equivalent of five years of learning by year nine. The author of the report, Save Our Schools head Trevor Cobold, said a huge cohort of disadvantaged students needed additional assistance to progress through school. The report found Year 9 students of parents with a bachelor degree or higher achieved between 94 and 102 points greater in reading, writing and numeracy than students of parents who'd only completed Year 11. Students in this cohort achieved lit average literacy and numeracy scores below that of Year 5 students of highly educated parents. Similarly, students of parents in the highest occupational group, including elected officials, managers and administrators, were nearly four years of learning ahead of students of parents in the lowest occupation group, mainly composed of front of house staff and labourers. This has been going on for decades. If anything, the gap is getting bigger, Cobold said. It's just shocking. The government is bemoaning a lack of productivity growth, but if you close these achievement gaps, you'll improve workforce skills and knowledge. The vast majority of students needing additional support were in the government sector. Department figures show 82% of low socioeconomic status students and 83% of Indigenous students were enrolled in public schools, while the public system also catered to 79% of remote students. The results found all high-priority cohorts had high numbers of students only achieving at the lowest NAPLAN proficiency level in reading, writing and numeracy. About 25% of students whose parents were not in paid work needed additional support, rising to about 35% of Indigenous students and more than half of very remote students. By contrast, less than 5% of students of highly educated parents and parents in the highest occupation group needed additional learning support. Cobold said despite the heavy concentration of disadvantaged students in the public system, governments were continuing to to top up private schools to the neglect of their counterparts. The funding shortfall of the public school system is estimated at $6.8 
billion dollars, with 98% of schools yet to meet the schooling resource standard, the SRS, the minimum standard agreed to by governments more than a decade ago to provide a baseline education to students. By contrast, private schools were funded at an average of 105.5% above their SRS. Money is fundamental to improving results. It delivers resources, teachers and support staff. Kids need that to make progress, Cobalt said. We've been misdirecting funding, giving priority to private schools that enrol a small minority of disadvantaged students. Kids need more support due to their background, and when highly concentrated, they need even more support. Cobalt's analysis comes in the lead-up to an education minister's meeting on the 11th of December, which will consider the review of an expert panel advising the government on the next National Schools Reform Agreement. He has joined calls from the Australian Education Union to fully fund public schools by 2028 in the next NSRA. The Greens have gone a step further, pushing for full funding by 2025, the year the next agreement, which negotiates bilateral funding agreements, is implemented. The new NSRA must focus on increasing equity in education outcomes, Cobold said. There can be no excuse for continuing to underfund public schools when so much is at stake. Passy Salberg, a professor of educational leadership at the University of Melbourne, who was the on the expert panel advising on the NSRA, said the report painted a big picture of the achievement gaps in education. We've known for a long time the biggest influence in student outcomes is out-of-school factors, their family background, he said. He said education systems which were successful at closing equity gaps, including in Scandinavia, used wraparound public sector policies to provide students with access to support and resources at school, operating like community hubs or centres. In the absence of proper funding for public schools, which are catering to most of the disadvantaged students, it's difficult to make available other services. Health and wellbeing, he said. I see a lack of resources all around Australia. You just can't serve those kids without funding. But it's also more than just a funding issue. It's one of fairness. We should be benchmarking students' performance to the most affluent kids to make sure policies try to narrow the achievement gap. Back to you, Jean. Thank you, Dale. The real problem with our disadvantage and our class struggle in society is that um, it's going from generation to generation. If one one generation is fortunate enough uh, to have its children go to university, then the grandchildren are going to have more chance at an educational future. But um, it's a very sad situation. There is all research in the world which proves that if you put money into your disadvantaged schools, then it gets results. But our situation is that we're not putting money into the disadvantaged schools, we're putting it into the wealthy schools so that the wealthy get wealthier, and the disadvantaged fall further behind. And this is just not good for the economy. A lot of others, a lot of other uh, countries don't do silly things like this. Uh, the United Kingdom and the United States might be silly, like Australia, but uh, Japan and uh, Germany and Finland and other places, Iceland, they don't do, they're not stupid like this. No, 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 no. 
they know that the next generation is going to be well-educated and that will be very good all around for the community and the uh, nation state itself. Well, listeners, we hope you're still with us listening to the DOGS program, the Defence of Government Schools. We're here to promote and to defend public education. And uh, Andy has got an interesting article here for us, again, from Caitlin Cassidy of the, of the uh, Guardian. The Australian education is in long-term decline due to poor curriculum. So it's not just money, although uh, money does make a difference to the wideness of the curriculum. Choices for children in our schools, our public schools, but uh, let's see what she has to say, shall we, Andy? Over to you. Thanks, Jean. Australian education in long-term decline due to poor curriculum, report says. Students are learning about half the science content of school systems in similar countries, a consulting group has found. An overhaul of Australia's curriculum is needed to reverse a long-term decline in international education test results, a new report suggests. The findings, released by the Education Research and Consulting Group Learning First on Monday, benchmarked Australia's science curriculum against seven comparable education systems – England, Hong Kong, Japan, Singapore, the US and the Canadian provinces of Alberta and Quebec. The report found Australian students were learning 44 science topics in their first nine years of schooling compared with an average of 74. It also found the process through which the science curriculum was developed was broken and not based on leading research or quality benchmarking. Australia's curriculum also lacked the depth of learning, with five topics covered in depth compared with an average of 22 across the same time frame. The Chief Executive of Learning First, Ben Jensen, said Australia had stagnated or declined across all subjects in international test results for more than a decade and measures to reverse these trends had failed. Whenever results came out showing the decline in Australian education, we point the finger at teachers and raise issues around quality. But it's the national curriculum that's the problem, Jensen said. What our data shows is there are massive holes. It's since the Australian curriculum was introduced that international scores have been falling. All the research says the quality of the curriculum taught has a significant impact on learning, performance and equity. The report also found consistent poor sequencing of content, whereby topics weren't taught until much later in schooling, which research showed was a vital measure for effective teaching and learning. Evolution wasn't taught until year 10 in the Australian curriculum, compared with years 5 and 6 in Quebec and year 6 in England. Australia's national curriculum, introduced by the former Labor government in 2010, was hailed as a new back-to-basics world-class system. It was developed by the Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting Authority, providing the foundation of state and territory education systems, including achievement standards, content descriptions and teaching guides. But since its introduction, student performance in international science assessments is now one full year below where it was, with results also falling in reading and maths. In the latest results of the Program for International Student Assessment, released in 2019, Australian students' performance in mathematics fell to the OECD average, the first time results in one of the three core competencies has done so since international comparisons began in 2000. The results confirmed a continuing long-term decline in Australian students' reading, mathematics and science skills, with 10 countries now with significantly higher results in reading than Australia, 23 in maths and 12 in science. 
The OECD's assessment is held every three years and tests 15-year-old students on their performance in maths, science and reading. Compared with students in the highest performing country, Singapore, Australians were more than a year behind in reading, about three years behind in mathematics and almost two years behind in science. Jensen said Australia set a low standard for what students should learn. He said rather than teacher development programs, an overhaul of the curriculum was needed and pointed to New South Wales, which has released a draft of its new year 7 to 10 curriculum. The draft has just over 50% more science content than the existing version. We see this as a giant failure of process, Jensen said, adding, we can find no evidence the process to develop any of the other subjects were better. It should be based on the best research and what's working in classrooms. A spokesperson for ACARA said the current curriculum, version 9.0, was world class and identified the essential content all Australian children should learn, including in science. They said the science curriculum was formally endorsed by all nine education ministers in April 2022. The curriculum is subject to a six-year cycle of review. This followed a significant review that reflected feedback from subject, curriculum and teacher experts from all states and territories, as well as public consultation, they said. The review process also included international benchmarking with high-achieving counterparts such as Singapore, which found the Australian curriculum was on par with these curricula in terms of overall breadth, depth and rigour. Well, that's um, strangely contradictory to the report that we've been um, quoting from at the beginning of this article, and it does look like um, we are falling further behind. Uh, back to you, Jean. Well, we hope you're still listening to the Dogs Program on this lovely Saturday afternoon, and uh, we're going now to Dale again, and she's going to tell us about an AEU uh, press release that came out. There's been a report on disruptive classrooms and they're not happy with it. Over to you, Dara. Thanks, Jean. I've got a press release here from the Australian Education Union, F for Fail on Disruptive Classrooms report. The Australian Education Union says the interim report of the Senate inquiry into increasing disruption in Australian school classrooms has failed to capture and address the complex issues that impact on teaching and learning in schools. Federal President Karenna Haythorpe said the report ignores the impact that the deeply entrenched and significant underfunding of billions of dollars every year has on public schools. The report frames behaviour as a problem for teachers in a simplistic manner by focusing on student discipline and narrow one-size-fits-all approaches. It fails to address the fundamental issues that can lead to disruption, such as the lack of individual support for students, lack of specialist support staff or learning programs, and increasingly large class sizes in our schools. The report acknowledges that the causes of classroom disruption are complex and multifaceted, but ignores the ongoing $6.5 billion shortfall that stops schools from hiring the additional teachers, providing mentors and specialist support required to help teachers address the increasing complexity of student needs. Further, the AEU rejects the one-size-fits-all approach such as explicit instruction methods and changing classroom setups. This will not fix the huge funding hole that public schools have been dealing with for over a decade, nor should politicians be telling teachers how to teach. Highly effective teachers use a range of teaching strategies to engage and challenge students, meet their learning needs and assess and monitor their progress. The priority should be 
be delivering the resources, time and support that teachers need to meet the individual needs of each student rather than retrograde changes that de-skill teachers and attempt to standardise teaching and learning. That is a recipe for worsening behaviour, not improving it. The report cites figures that show public schools do not have the funds to support all students with disabilities, but fails to propose an increase in funds that might help address this. The teaching profession has identified what is needed. More teachers with more time to support students, more specialist support staff to help students with complex needs, and smaller class sizes. That is what will positively impact classroom behaviour and improve learning. Public schools cater for the vast majority of students from disadvantaged backgrounds, and yet public schools are denied the minimum level of funding needed to address this disadvantage. Only 1.3% of public schools are funded at the SRS, the minimum amount governments agreed a decade ago was necessary to meet the needs of all students. Principals, teachers and education support personnel are delivering a great education for students in Australia's public schools, but they are being asked to do too much with too little. Governments must provide the teaching profession with the essential resources and optimal learning environments required to deliver a high-quality education for all. Back to you, Jean. Well, many thanks, Dale. It's very interesting, isn't it? Uh, when things go wrong uh, at home and at school, then all the all that they seem to be able to do, the people in power, is to blame the victims and uh, just a little bit more money from taxpayers. I mean, it's our money and it's our public system would really help. But uh, we'll see what the Labor Party comes up with in Canberra in the next few weeks, shall we? I wonder if they'll go to water because the private schools are still jumping. All they have to do is to jump up and down if there's a worry, but they might lose a cent. And, of course, uh, the public schools have to pay the price every time. That is why the dogs are anti-state aid for private schools. It never works, it hasn't worked, and it is now bringing our education system into dire straits, particularly for our children from our poor families. And it is just not it's also stupid public policy but uh, it's time for us to have a break and come back and go overseas with Jeff you're listening to 3CR community radio 855 AM on digital and online 3CR radical radio 3CR well this is 3CR 855 on the AM dial and we hope you're still listening to the dogs program because we're going overseas with Jeff. First of all, to the United Kingdom, where some very interesting things are happening. Jeff's a very good researcher, you know, and uh, then we go off to the United States. Sometimes there's good news from the United States, but uh, not that often. Over to you, Jeff. Thanks, Jean. And I'd like to start this week in the UK, where an article in the Financial Times by uh, Anna Gross and Jim Pickard uh, on the 4th of, of uh, December, wrote this article, uh, Labor could abandon Rishi Sunak's maths reforms to focus on primary, primary school provision. The Prime Minister's priorities are the wrong way around, says Shadow Education Secretary. 
Rishi Sunak has put the cart before the horse with his plan to extend maths teaching until the age of 18 and should instead focus on improving primary school provision, said Britain's Shadow Education Secretary. Bridget Phillipson hinted that the Labor government could abandon the Prime Minister's plan to roll out a landmark, baccalaureate-style advanced British standard and set out her ambition to focus on instead on early-year maths skills. If I was Secretary of State now, reform in the 16 to 18 space along the lines of the advanced British standard would not be a priority, she said in an interview with the Financial Times, adding that Sunak had got it the wrong way round. Under the Prime Minister's flagship plans set out at the Conservative Party conference in October, students would study at least five subjects, including maths and English, to the age of 18, to make the A-level system more closely mirror the breadth of provision in Europe and the US. Speaking at the Science Museum, Philipson said her priority was early year, years maths skills, after a Labor Party analysis showed that the 153,000 children left primary school this year without reaching the expected standard in the subject. My priority would be setting up children to succeed much earlier on in their lives and how we use that as the basis to deliver high and rising standards right throughout the school system, she said, after admiring a replica of Charles Babbage's early 19th century difference engine, one of the first ever calculators. Philipson, who went to a grew up in a council house in Sunderland and went to a state Catholic school, said it was unacceptable that so many children left primary education without a good standard of maths. She pointed out the Prime Minister's plans were also unworkable due to a lack of maths teachers. Sunak himself has admitted that the ABS could take a decade to be rolled out for 18-year-olds because of the shortage. I don't see how they could deliver it in practical terms because we simply don't have the teachers to make it happen. So we'll take a view as uh, and when they bring forward any legislation, Philipson said. Teacher vacancy rates have increased from 2 to 1, 000, in 1,000 roles in 2021 to 5 in 1,000 roles last year, according to government data. The problem is particularly acute for maths and science subjects, where the graduates often have a range of higher-paying jobs to choose from. Philipson said a Labor government would offer £2,400 retention payment for teachers who finish two years of working post-training and would undertake a review of the curriculum to bring maths to life with real-world examples such as household budgeting and cooking skills. She added that Labor would also hire maths champions at nurseries as well as in schools once more teaching resources became available. The UK was ranked 13th amongst OECD countries for maths attainment based on socioeconomic status below Australia, Italy, Japan and South Korea. Last year, ministers set a target of ensuring that 90% of children leave primary school with the national curriculum standard in reading, writing and maths. But in the 2022-23 academic year, nearly one in four failed to meet the standard in maths, according to government data. A spokesman for the Department of Education said attainment in maths for primary pupils increased this year, with 73% of pupils meeting the expected standard in Key Stage 2, up from 71% in 2022, although this was still below the pre-pandemic level of 79%. They added that the results showed the pandemic had significant impacts on education. Philipson confirmed that her party's increased funding for early year maths training would be paid for by removing the VAT exemption for private schools, which the party believes would raise between £1.3 and £1.5 billion per year. Asked about private schools' concerns that this would force them into raised fees and could lead to an exodus of students, Philipson said they ought to consider how they can make cost savings. We're in the middle of a cost of living crisis, but private schools have put up their fees year on year, way beyond inflation, and they've priced themselves out of the market, she added. Philipson quoted research from the Institute of Fiscal Studies, think tank, showing that few private 
pupils would be forced out of their schools by Labor's plan, contrary to what she called the sector's scaremongering. A recent Ipsos poll found that 57% of the public supported of the public supported Labor's proposals to end, enter, to end VAT exemptions for private schools. After party leader Sir Keir Starmer this year reversed a pledge to scrap university tuition fees, Philipson, who studied modern history at Oxford University, said the Labor government would deliver a more progressive system which would allow a return of maintenance grants for poorer students. She indicated that the party took could look at models that included increasing interest rates for top graduate earners to enable the reintroduction of grants, which were scrapped in 2016. She was also clear that Labor did not back the Tory government's attempt to cut the number of people taking up what they termed poor quality degrees. We will not be telling people, as the Prime Minister is, that university isn't for them, she said. I don't believe you can capture the value of education simply in financial terms. It's always other people's children who lose out. Oh, and the dogs would like to say we would wish that the Australian government would take a leaf out of the uh, uh, Miss Philipson's uh, book. I think she's a potentially a very, very good education minister, and so uh, we look forward to hearing more f- about that as as the after the election. Anyway, now we're going to go across to the United States uh, and the Diana Ravitch blog, which we follow. Uh, diligently, Diana Ravitch being a, a very f- staunch advocate also of public education. And this is a story from Wyoming where Diana says, Will Wyoming pass vouchers and throw rules, rural schools under the bus? Peter Green has been following the debate of pa- voucher legislation in Wyoming. This is from December 2nd. Uh, uh, over voucher legislation in Wyoming, where they've failed until now. Surely some Republicans must be following what happened to vouchers in Texas, where a significant number of Republicans resent, representing rural district, districts voted them down to protect their community public schools. They knew their schools needed funding, not competition. What states like Wyoming needs is a public referendum on vouchers. Let the public decide. Could it be that the politicians know that no state referendum on vouchers has ever passed? So I might have to abbreviate this, but um, it's quite a long article. But Green writes, Attempts have been made to sell school voucher bills in the Wyoming legislature, like the Wyoming Freedom Scholarship Act, because scholarship and freedom are more popular terms than voucher earlier this year. Voucher system, by the way, is there to provide private schools with an income based on taxpayer money. Earlier this year, all their um, acts have failed. A new variation on the theme is aiming at the place in the 2024 schedule. Oddly enough, the bill comes from the Speaker of the House, Albert Summers, a Republican who actually helped block the Freedom Scholarship Act, but he thinks this alternate form will work better. Opponents disagree. Actually, some supporters disagreed too. The bill runs on $40 million taken from the general fund. Of that $40 million, $12 million goes to fund preschool education. Because if there's one technique that voucher proponents have learned, it's to team up your unpopular voucher plan with something that people want, in this case, preschool education funding. The rest of the funding would go to the ESA vouchers. The bill uses a usual foot-in-the-door feature of an income cap for receiving the vouchers. The bill sets the cap at 250% of the federal poverty limit, which adds up to $75,000 for a family of four. Median household income in Wyoming is $68,000. One legislator unsuccessfully tried to boost this up to 350%, which would be $105,000. At this point, nobody should be fooled by the we're just doing this to rescue the poor kids line, as we have seen multiple states modify their program with ever-increasing caps, or simply getting rid of the cap entirely. 
With that expansion of eligibility, we keep seeing voucher program costs explode to budget-bursting extremes. Voucher amount would amount would be up to $5,000. According to the website Private School Review, average private school tuition in Wyoming is $8,719 per year. In one feature that is not common to voucher laws, the bill proposes that the Department of Education would certify vendors eligible to be paid with the taxpayer-funded vouchers. That was not part of the Freedom Scholarship Act. But a legislator successfully added an amendment, typical of the current voucher law, that the state can't interfere with a private school's curriculum or admission policies, meaning that the school could teach religion, flat-earth science, creationism and racial supremacy, if it so desired, as well as discriminating against whatever applicants it so desired. In practice, what that means is that religious schools can accept vouchers while offering religious indoctrination and religious-based discrimination, for example, the Illinois voucher school that requires families to be born-again Christians, and another legislator successfully stripped the portion of the bill that voucher-using students had to take the same state tests as public school students. Representative Carly Provenza pretty well captured what all these changes mean. When we remove that testing standard, we are moving away from saying the government money is being well spent, Provenza said. We are not regulating choice, we're regulating accountability of our state funds. True enough, but current voucher theory says that a voucher bill isn't non-crappy unless it's stripped of accountability and oversight. So if Wyoming is going to have school vouchers, they should be as unaccountable and unregulated as possible. Kiss those dollars goodbye, taxpayers, and don't ask where they went or how effectively they were spent. Freedom! The bill we still have to clear will still have to clear some hurdles, including a state constitution that prohibits the use of any portion of public school fund for private schools, Article 7, Section 8. Wyoming vouchers uh, advocates have struggled with this, and the argument seems to boil down to one, once we hand over money to parents, it's transformed into private money, so there's no problem. Or two, the Supreme Court thinks public money should absolutely finance the exercise of religion, so if this makes it all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States, they will be on our side. So we'll see. There are unique features to a voucher initiative in Wyoming. For one, funding vouchers by having the money follow the child would never fly because Wyoming schools have wildly different pupil costs. In 2019-2020, Laramie spent $14,582 per student, but the very rural Sheridan district, 90 students, spent $41,176 per student. That means Wyoming is better inclined to fund vouchers separately from public education. They could, in fact, be the first legislature to be honest and say, we believe in choice so much that we are going to raise your taxes to fund it. For another, there's that state constitution, exactly the same sort of challenge that sank the voucher proposal in Kentucky. Other state constitutions, such as Florida and Ohio, ban public funding for religious schools, but that has not been an obstacle to GOP politicians. And with that, we'll pass back to you, Jane. Well, thank you, Jeff. But now we have a very sad thing, obligation to do. There has been the death of a, of a great supporter of public education from Monash University and elsewhere, uh, David Zinnia, and Jeff is going to read it to us. Over to you, Jeff. Thanks, Jean. And it is with sadness that the dogs would like to remember the life of a staunch advocate for public education, Dr David Zinger, who passed on the 26th of November 2023. Now, this is a, a, an eulogy 
noted by his friend Nicholas Abbey, who's the president of the School Improvement and Governance Network. Um, Nicholas says, Dr David Zinger was a remarkable individual who wore multiple hats during his illustrious career, teacher, principal, teacher, educator, public education activist, and the visionary founder of the Public Education Network. He was previously an academic at Monash University, as well as a dedicated unionist actively involved in the NTEU roles at Monash University, including champion camp, championing campaigns around workload issues. David's research was a testament to his strong commitment to public education. He delved extensively into various critical areas, shedding ample light on and establishing significant connections between students' social class and outcomes. The profound impact of students' social class and socioeconomic status, along with the nuanced and intersectional nature of social class. Teaching methods that engage were important to him. Pedagogical and curricular approaches that serve to engage every student and enhance their educational achievements. Fostering democracy at all levels. The, de the development of democracy within school environments and education systems, a role he embraced too as co-director of the Global Doing Democracy Research Project. Students and Teachers Empowerment. Students and teachers voice, agency, leadership and collective problem solving as citizens who are engaged, critical and productive agents of real positive change. Embracing the breadth of diversity, the unique challenges and the tremendous strengths of culturally, linguistically and economically diverse communities. These substantial areas of focus sharply contrast with neoliberal policies and managerialism which lack the depth clear vision and collaborative and well-resourced roadmap to advance public education. Throughout his career, David staunchly supported the professional knowledge and autonomy of teachers and fervently upheld the importance of unionism, progressive collectivism and broad-based collaborative networks. David's legacy is obviously a powerful reminder of how to best continue this crucial work in advancing new kinds of multi-stakeholder collaboration and networking. In 2022, David, highlighting how he was first and foremost an activist for public education, who also constantly used traditional and social media, posted on the Public Education Network Facebook page. A to-do list for Jason Clare, MP. 1. Meet with representatives of public education principals and teachers. 2. Fund all public schools to the Schooling Resource Standard, SRS. 3. Defund all schools that charge fees above the SRS. 4. Replace chaplains in public schools with qualified professionals. 5. End teachers for, Teach for Australia. 6. Retrieve hundreds of millions of dollars in JobKeeper that went to a group of private schools that grew their surpluses to almost $1 billion. David's truly wonderful contributions to education and advocacy will be greatly missed leaving an immense void. The dogs would like to express their sincere condolences to David's wife, Suzanne, and his children and grandchildren. We would like them to know that David's leadership in academic and community advocacy for public education will be long remembered, and his legacy will continue to inspire future advocates in the years to come. Vale, David Zinger. And with that sad news, I'd like to pass back to you, Jean. Thank you, Jeff, and farewell to a great, great fighter public education. But uh, the ideas still live and we continue to fight. So with the good news story, our great state school. <laughs>
Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools. School are of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. <laughs> And this week's Great State School of the Week is Nanagoon Primary School. And this is from their newsletter, Community Spirit. Yesterday, our school was fortunate to be involved in an incredible act of charity from one of our Year 6 students. Riley has been growing his hair for four years and has made the decision to donate this hair to Ella Wigmakers, who make wigs for people with cancer. As someone whose family had been touched by cancer, Riley also wanted to involve the school community in this event and raise as much funds as possible for cancer research. Our SRC ran a crazy hair day and all money donated would support this cause. Each class had a student who was lucky enough to carefully cut off a small section of Riley's hair so it could be preserved to send off to Ella Wigmakers. Riley's family was in attendance, including his grandpa who made a special surprise visit. The school community really got behind Riley with a wonderful atmosphere for our special assembly. And we're very proud to say our fabulous community raised $1,000, which has been donated to Riley's family's fundraising efforts and go directly to cancer research. And the above events are a timely reminder during this busy time what a wonderful and genuine supportive community Nanagoon Primary School has built. Our recent food drive raised 673 items, which were picked up and will go to making families in need feel some simple comforts at Christmas. We are very lucky to have people who are kind, charitable and give whatever they have to help others. Thank you very much for all your support. We feel very proud of the impact our small school can have when we work together. And so now just looking at some of the numbers, the school has 194 pupils. The ICSIA value of the school is 997, below the average of 1,000. The students are broadly representative of the community. This is a hard-working rural community. 4% have parents from the upper 25% in income, 21% in the second highest, 44% from the third quartile, and 31% from the poorest 25% of the community. 3% of the pupils speak a language other than English, and 1% are of Indigenous parentage. This is a school with dedicated principal and teachers making do on very meagre funding. It costs the taxpayer $12,438, well below their SRS, to educate a student at this school. The school received only $528,000 from the federal government and $2.1 million from the state government, $43,000 from fees and $42,000 from private fundraising. And the capital grants in the last three years have been only $151,000. All this public and private money is money well spent. The NAPLAN results of these students is extraordinary, well above average in reading, grammar and numeracy. It's wonderful. Uh, it's a poor rural school, uh, although I think the, um, the city is moving out there in development. Uh, it's on the way out to the Lato Valley, a lovely place. And um, they're here they have this wonderful community spirit, but not only that, the teachers have got these children well, well up in their NAPLAN results. They're not only above average, they're well above average. Um, they're, they're really, really doing very, very well indeed if the NAPLAN results indicate anything. But uh, lovely school and congratulations to the principal and the teachers at that school. 
And well done to the school community as well. I just wanted to add that it, it always is those yeah. with the the fewest resources, those who have the least, who tend to give the most. And um, their, their charitable works, I would argue, <laughs> uh, are far more um, charitable than, say, some of the so-called charitable schools <laughs> that uh, get so much government funding. Um, so this is a school... Uh, with a low ICSIA value, so it's, you know, very from the poorest segments of the community, yet willing to give so much back to the community. So congratulations, Nana Goon. Yes, I suspect in many ways they are more Christian than a lot of the so-called Christian schools, you're quite right. But um, it does the heart good, doesn't it, to, to read about these things and about this kind of school in our public system. And that is what our public system is about. It's about our community and bringing our community together because a public school is open to all children and all parents and all teachers. And uh, it's not anybody's business what their their background or their preferences, whatever they may be, are. But um, our time is gone. But if you want to find out more about us, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info. But from Dale and Andy and Jeff and myself, it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he, I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed, they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize went on to organize from San Diego up to Maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize it's there you'll find your hill Joe, you're 
ten years dead. I never died, says he. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.